you could turn to Matthew chapter 18, please, if you have your Bibles. Matthew 18, we're going to be looking at one verse in particular at the end of this section in regard to discipline. It's kind of strange we're um, looking at this particular verse, but it'll make sense once we get going, hopefully. Before we begin, let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we know there is none like you. You are the one who gives and takes away. You're the one who speaks and creates universes. You're the one who can turn water into wine and turn it into concrete to walk on. You're the one who can wall it up and bring it from heaven. You're the one who can make it sprout out from a rock and bring it from the earth. You're the one who does these things by the power of your word. And we are in desperate need of you this morning, Father. Father, we need your spirit to work in us, to convict us, to stir us, to move us. Because, Father, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. We know that it is a vain thing to think that we can make progress of any kind apart from your word and your spirit working in us. We ask this morning that you truly would, you truly would be gracious to us, minister to us through the word by your spirit. For we ask it as those who are in your beloved son. Amen. Well, this is going to be the last sermon in this series on prayer, and it kind of is bringing this whole thing to a conclusion. And uh, I just want to ask you guys, begin by asking you a question. And I don't want you to raise your hands, but I want you to answer it, think about it, and answer it kind of in your hearts. And be real sincere and think deeply about it, because I think it might expose something in us that I want to, uh, uh, partly want to address. How many of you can honestly say that this series in prayer has at all changed your life? Or it has at all affected you in a meaningful way? Because um, the reason I ask this, and I want you to think about this, is because I think, and and I say this from personal experience, it's far too easy, it's far too easy to sit here and hear the word, leave here, make a comment or two about the sermon, go about your life and forget what it is you heard. And you know why that's so scary? Is because we become hearers of the word and not doers. Nothing could be worse than become a hearer of the word and not a doer because every time we hear and then we don't do, we become bigger and bigger hypocrites, we actually store up for ourselves more and more condemnation if we're not the kind of people who get to repenting. Because the thing is, we must be fearful of having God speak to us and then somehow walking away and making a comment or two and then not actually look and think and talk about how it is we apply this in our lives. Now, Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that uh, every one of us should hear the word and be radically changed and everything's different and we're new creatures as we walk out in that sense. 
But there should be progress. There should be movement. It should deeply concern you if you look at your life and you think, oh, you know, over the last 10 years, there's really been no progress in my prayer life. That should concern us. Deeply concern us. We should be the kinds of people who could look back and say, you know, heck, it's, not, it's nothing really great. It's not like we're, you know, becoming phenomenal prayer warriors. But at the same time, we should be seeing progress. And I'm fearful. I'm fearful of us that we would just be hearers of the word and not doers. One of the things that would just concern me more than anything, for this series to end, and you say, yeah, that was a nice series at best. Or I'm not even sure what the heck you talked about at worst. Because what ends up happening is we sometimes leave from here and then we go into our busy lives. And so this ought not to be the case. And if it is the case, if it is the case that we hear, leave, and don't do, then at least please make that your prayer. Make that your prayer when you leave. Oh God, ashamed I ought to be. I do not pray. I do not heed your word. I do not listen to it. I do not take it in and I do not think about how it is that I can apply it. I am not a man or a woman or child of prayer. Oh please make me this person of prayer. That's progress. It, if it bothers you, that you're not that good at prayer, blessed be the Lord. (laughs) If it doesn't bother you that you're not, yeah, my prayer life, yeah, it pretty much stinks. Pretty much. And that's it. That's scary. That's incredibly scary. Because if the Spirit is at work in our lives, the Spirit will stir us, will convict us, will expose us, And especially help us to see and understand our weaknesses. When it comes to prayer, oh, may we not be just hearers of the word, but doers. May we not just take this series as something that we heard and thought, yeah, that was nifty, neat. I like that kind of little nuance. I like this aspect or I like that. But rather, may we become people, truly a people of prayer. Because as we'll see this morning, this is central, this is important to our life to the kingdom. And this is the means by which God moves and acts in the world. You know, and I think sometimes uh, our prayer life, if anything, will give us away as to whether or not we believe and truly believe that God is the giver of all things and that apart from him I can do nothing. If there's anything that gives our, our belief in that away, it's our prayer life. And I think in so many ways we walk in unbelief. In so many ways, we're not, we're not people of true conviction in the fact that God is on his throne. I'm not. That apart from him, I can do nothing. I need him to protect me, to defend me, to shield me. I need him to strengthen me, to give me wisdom, to give me love, to give me peace, to give me patience. I need him to feed me. I need him to care for my children. I need him to walk before me. I need him to guide me. I need him to direct me. If you're convicted about that and you truly believe that, you know what will happen? You will be a person of prayer. If you confess that with your mouth, 
but you look at your prayer life and it's a shambles and it doesn't really bother you and you just run into life, you're exposed. You are unbelieving. And that should bother you. And by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God working in our hearts, that's the whole point even now of proclaiming what it is that God requires of you. That the Word would go out and by the Spirit you would be convicted, you'd be stirred, and you would see where it is you come up short. You would see where it is you fail. You would see where it is that you, you just don't measure up and that you would fall on your knees and cry out to God. So may God do that in our hearts. And may this series, as it comes to a conclusion, may it not just be left as some, oh yeah, that was neat kind of series, but rather, no, we need to make a change. And if we start anywhere, let us please even just start with a prayer of confession of how horrible we are at this. This morning, I'm going to talk about this whole part of praying together with one another. And when we pray, we want, I want us to understand that it's the prayers of the saints collectively. The prayers of God's people are prayers that God greatly delights in. Last week, I talked about the importance of our private prayers being personal and non-hypocritical and being done with sincerity and truth. We looked at the importance of us being honest with God and not trying to do, you know, please men and, and pray in such a way that we, we commend ourselves to men but rather pray in such a way that we commend ourselves to God. And I didn't say that to exclude some corporate praying, as if that's all that's important is that we go away into our private prayer rooms and pray. There's There's something about the prayers of the saints together that God delights in more than the individual's. As he even says in the Psalms, Psalm 87, where he says, I delight in the gates of Zion more than the tents of Jacob. And God delights in his people coming together. We even looked at last week how Jesus himself said, this temple, as he talked about the temple of God was built, is to be a house of what? Prayer. A house of prayer. Jesus wants his body, his people, his bride to be a people of prayer. And in the early church, they would meet at this temple together three times a day. And why is this? God especially likes it when his people pray together. He especially likes it. In Matthew 18, this text I had you open to, Look at verse 19, 19 and 20. Here this verse comes at the end of a section where he's talking about what loving discipline looks like in the church. And then he says this in verse 19. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, obviously, this text is not explicitly speaking about prayer, is it? He's he's actually, like I said earlier, if your brother sins against you, if you look at verse 15, go to tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained him. If he doesn't listen to you, take someone else, and he's ramping it up. And then it it leads to this process of excommunication. If finally the person won't repent, they won't turn from their sins. And then he says this just after he's taught them that they have the keys of the kingdom. 
that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, be loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven, and basically says to these apostles that you have the authority of the church, and you can do these actions, and they are, they are binding. They are honored. You have my name bestowed upon me, on you and my authority upon you to act in this particular way in the church. But then he, and then he uh, gets to this point where he says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So it's, if I isolated that verse, it's very easy to try to make it look like, hey, what, what is he talking about here? He's talking specifically about prayer. Well, in the context, he's talking more specifically about this discipline process. However, the point can be made. It's, it's not, it, we're not creating a big jump. The application is, is evident that he says, where these two or three people, these two or three um, gather together in my name and make this declaration, it is binding. And, God, and the Father, he says, the Father hears them, showing that there's a difference between two and three and just one. And what he's, what he's borrowing here is language from the, um, from the law, the law of Moses, where he talks about nothing can be, uh, no case can be brought against a person, and it cannot be um, declared as true unless there's a valid testimony of two or three witnesses. This valid, te- it, the only way to make it valid is if there's at a bare minimum two. And these two t- this testimony has got to line up. They've got to be valid witnesses. They've got to agree completely. There can't be deviation. And so these two witnesses, if they agree on this and the evidence is, is good and their witnesses are true, then it's binding. The other great thing the law had is if these two witnesses, if they conspire, if they're proven to be false witnesses at all, the very thing, the accusation they're bringing against and the charge they're bringing against the one they're condemning falls on their own heads. Talk about cleaning up the court systems. But it's in this, so it's in this context. And, and, then, and actually, one scholar says that uh, this last verse, verse 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. He's saying this is actually a, an old rabbinical saying where two, where two rabbis are together discussing the Torah, Yahweh was in the midst of them. That was like a saying, an understanding. It's almost like he's saying that Jesus is actually playing with this, messing with the rabbinical tradition. Now, whether he is or whether he isn't, the point is still the same. Jesus is saying, when you guys make this decision and you come together and you're, you're unified in this and it's declared and proven by the testimony of two or three witnesses, he says, I am in the middle of that. Not just the fact that two people got together, but two valid witnesses, two valid testimonies get together. But it's important for us to see here, in direct application to this, how God sees the two people agreeing. And how how much more power and authority it has that these two or three people getting together have as compared to just one. God does love it when his people are together and in unity and together declaring the same thing. We see this even in the book of Acts, chapter 1. The saints are gathered together in the upper room, and it says they were devoting themselves to prayers and supplications. They were there praying, and then as they were praying together, what happens to the church? The Spirit is poured out upon them. And then over in Acts 4, 23 through 31, we have the church, it gathers together. There was a persecution on the apostles, Peter and John, 
they were flogged and released. The church gathers together, and we read this. This was read for us last Sunday. And they pray. And when they prayed, what did it say happened? This place started shaking. God answers them. It says they were filled with the Spirit, and then they went out and proclaimed the word boldly. It was this kind of prayer that caused the power from on high to descend and the, and the, the good news of Jesus Christ to be proclaimed throughout the world. One of the great examples of collect, the power of collective prayer is in Revelation chapter 8, which is read for us this morning. In Revelation chapter 8, it's, there's a lot of symbolism there, but we have this angel, and he has a golden censer. And he's carrying the censers just like the, the priest would in the temple. And it's the bowl of insult, incense. And he says, these are the prayers of the saints. And then he takes these bowls of incense and he throws them at the earth. And this is the beginning of, of these judgments coming, these seven judgments. And they all the earth is being changed, judged, transformed as a result of what? The prayers of the saints that ascended to God, he takes them, and it's through these prayers that he fires them to the earth and affects what's happening on the earth. The collective prayers of the saints went up to God as a pleasing aroma to him, and he acted on their behalf. What a powerful image of showing what God thinks of the collective prayers of the saints. Paul knew the power of the church praying. In the end of the book of Ephesians, he calls the church to pray for him. Pray that he would have boldness and the gospel, he'd have opportunity to, and the doors would open up and up to proclaim the gospel. He knew that if he got the church praying, God would go before him and do marvelous things. He understood where the true source was at. You want to see God work? You want to see God move? Get to praying. Get God's people praying. You know the number one thing I think that the enemy would love to see the church do? To see that, to make sure that the progress of the kingdom doesn't happen, to get in. And one of the greatest things is to lull a church to sleep, to get it to do a lot of activity, a lot of things, but to stop praying. Oh, but sure, we pray. We bookend with prayer. We begin and end. But then the real work is all the stuff we do in the middle. And I think one of the greatest tragedies is when the church buys into that or falls asleep and no longer sees the importance of it. If you ever look at all the great awakenings that have ever happened when God has poured out his spirit upon the church, upon the, upon the world, and done great things, you, you see the connection to prayer. Just like in Acts 4, when things just start to spread. Acts 1, what happens in Acts 2 and 3? In Acts 2, 3,000 are added to their number that day. In Acts 4, right after that, it says the word spread mightily. And it comes on the heels of these, this, the church getting together and praying. If you look at the Great Awakening that happened in America, the things that they, they can pinpoint, start the start of prayer meetings, God's people gathering together to pray. In God's economy... A single instrument certainly is beautiful. But a whole orchestra in perfect harmony is powerful. Powerful. As Spurgeon put it, the prayers of a saint are sweet, but the prayers of saints are sweeter. And it's true that prayer 
is one of the, the central components to a people who truly believe, what do they believe? That God is on his throne and he does whatever he wills on the earth. He has the authority, he has the power to speak and have things happen. As it says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, they labor, I mean, they guard it in vain. It's the Lord. And if we believe that it's the Lord, it's truly God, you must act. God, you must shake them. You must stir them. Do you know that we cannot make dead people live, but God can? It doesn't matter what any preacher says. Billy Graham is not that great. It wasn't Billy Graham. God used Billy Graham. Those words went out, and it's the word of God declaring to a people the works of Jesus Christ and what he's done for them on their behalf. And people hear, and by the Spirit of God, God working in their hearts brings them to life, and they believe. But you can scream, you could yell, you could be eloquent, you could be passionate, you could be a great storyteller, you could do wonders. But unless God works by the Spirit, through the word, there is nothing. You cannot stir yourself. You could get a motivational speaker and get motivated for a day or two. And then reality sets in. You, the Spirit of God convicts you of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Look out. Transform lives. Change takes place when God, by His Spirit, works in hearts. And it's because of this that we need to be, make praying a priority at Christ's covenant. We need to become known as the people who pray. Because we're known as a people who understand that our sovereign God hears us and acts according to our prayers. Because it's one thing to understand that God works through our collective prayers. It's another thing to actually start doing it. We can say amen all day long. Absolutely. And you know what? I'm ashamed. I'm, I look at my life and I'm ashamed by how much time I have devoted to dreaming and scheming and planning and how little to prayer. Now, don't get me wrong. I, mean, I love prayer. I'm not against prayer. It's just I'm good at bookending prayer. Put it at the beginning, at the end, and let's get down to the real business. And it's sad because I think all too often that's the case. We think that so much is going to be done by our action, don't we? Now, don't get me wrong. Our action is necessary. God will actually stir us and move us to action. But there's a fundamental difference when you can tell whether prayer is the priority or whether prayer is the book-ended thing. George Mueller was a man, a man of prayer, and a man who puts me to shame when I read him, and a man who can, that God has used to convict me in so many ways. Because here's a man who, who performed and had a ministry that was completely based on prayer. He wanted to show the world what God could do 
through prayer. His passion was to glorify the power and goodness of God and, and show people what could happen if you pray. And it's the whole reason why he wanted his orphanages in England. He wanted to show the world the goodness and the power of God and what could happen when we pray. Do you know that he never told anybody except the staff of the orphanage, and they gathered together to pray whenever they had a need. They wouldn't announce their need, and they wouldn't tell anybody outside of their need at at all. And the whole reason, and he did this, it wasn't so that he could show himself as some spiritual man. He was passionate about showing them that God will provide. He truly will. God will provide. And you know what? They never lacked a single thing. In all the years... 30, 40 years of this ministry, 3,000 orphans they minister to, plus all the staff, massive buildings, heating bills. You know, there's all kinds of, uh, of expenses beyond just food, clothing, maintaining of the building. These are massive buildings, 3,000 orphans and all the peripheral um, extensions and ministries that are necessary to have that thing function. And there were times when God tested them and tried them. I don't want you to get the image that somehow he did this ministry on prayer and everything just flowed in. It was a piece of pie. No problem. No, there were several times when he's got to feed 3,000 people and the staff. And that night they ran out of food. They have nothing. The next morning he doesn't know how they're going to be fed. So what did he do? He gathered his people together and they prayed. And what did God do? He brought breakfast in the morning. People would show up their story after story, and they just felt burdened by God to bring truckloads of food, money. (laughs) Their needs were always and continuously supplied. And God did test them. God, you know, we all, I think we've got to know God a little bit and know that he's the 11th hour God. When are you going to show up, God? I want a lot of leeway. I want, the, I want you to show up ahead of time. That's, kind of, that's a nice way to work. But no, God's going to show up just in time. He's going to test our faith. And often he did this with them, but he was proved faithful day in and day out. People were astounded and thousands were becoming bold in the Lord through prayer because of what this ministry was doing. Because these people, this ministry was built upon the grace and goodness of God. And his powers made manifest through prayer. He says this, this is what it says in his biography. Every new step was taken with care and prayer. That it should not be in the energy of the flesh or in the wisdom of man, but in the power and wisdom of the Spirit. It was also said of him that whatever is gained in quantity is lost in quality whenever one engagement follows another without leaving proper intervals for refreshment and renewal of strength by waiting on God. No man, perhaps since John Wesley, they went on to say, has accomplished so much. Yet few have ever withdrawn so often or so long into the pavilion of prayer. In fact, from one point of view, his life seems more given to supplication and intercession than to mere action or occupation among men. Yet, did you hear what it says? 
they don't know if there's anybody apart from John Wesley who's ever accomplished more. Things get done when God moves. When God shows up in power, look out. We get, we get to be these vessels who get in the way and get used by God, and God does great things. He gets all the praise. He gets all the glory. And we get to enjoy watching him move and work. You know what I think in regard to this issue of corporate prayer, this issue of prayer as a people of God? That we at Christ's covenant, we have become weak. We've become weak and we've not seen the power of God work as we should. And I think we've experienced more trouble than we need to because of the lack of prayer. And I'm not saying we don't pray. I know. I know we pray, and I know you pray, and I know I've seen lots of answers to prayer in my life, and I'm sure you've seen lots of answers to prayer in your own life. I'm not saying that. But you look at how, how we pray as a people for, the things, to, for things together, and you look at the, at the priority that prayer takes in different meetings and the things that we do, and I think in a lot of ways it, it, gives, ourself, it gives us away. But you know primarily, the one, the one who this falls on is not you, but me and us leaders. Because we need to lead the people in this, and they haven't. Because this is something that needs to be led from the front, where he says, let's pray. People who are leading the meetings, people who are leading this. And I say this to my own shame. It is not an easy thing to do to pray. And this is why prayer takes faith. You've got to believe that God is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And you've got to not believe in all the wisdom of the world that says, unless I do this, 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 and this, nothing's going to happen. So all my action is absolutely and fundamentally necessary. And it's not that action is unnecessary because God is a God of means and he always works through his people. It's just that that should be secondary, not primary. Prayer truly has to become our priority. And we need to lead the way in this. So there's a lot more heaped here than here. And the scary part is, as you think about leading people into prayer and your own life is exposed for its lack, (laughs) oh, God, have mercy. Have mercy. Pray for the leaders of this church, please. Pray that we would become people of prayer. Pray that we would lead the people, you the people, to pray. Pray that it would become our absolute priority, the thing that we would focus on, that we give more time and energy to. Because I'm convinced that if we become a people of prayer and we really start to focus our energies and our attention on praying and praying more, God shows up and makes a difference. God is so kind and gracious because I've seen it. Where we have prayed, where we have given focus attention, he has worked wonderfully well. 
even the changes that have happened in my life. This series has probably been, be- I know it's been better for me than most of you. I, I'm sure of it. Because God is working at me, in me as, as I go through this. Help me to understand how neglectful I am in this matter, how often I forget. But at the same time, I'm, I'm thankful for progress. There's been progress. <laughs> the last four months, three months or so, as I've been doing this study, there's been progress in my own life. Not leaps and bounds, but progress. And what's terrifying for me right now is even to say this to you guys because I'm putting my neck own neck on the line. And I realize my own inadequacies in it. Because I, I, I know we need to become it. I know we need to grow and mature in this area. And I think as long as prayer remains a peripheral, I think there will be many things that go on in our body that cause us to be sick and disjointed. You know, if we really want to see God move mightily through us, powerfully through us, this, it's going to be contingent upon us praying. Just look at our body and think of, the, think of this in terms of evangelistic outreach, how God has moved in the hearts and lives of people. There hasn't, there's been next to none. That's, again, a shame of ours, of ex- not extending the kingdom. And you know what that is? Primarily and fundamentally, it's a, it's a, a step one, it's a lack of prayer. Because when God's people get praying and they ask for God to move and they beseech the throne of grace and they say, please, Father, please, please, I beg of you, pour out your spirit so that your name would be glorified in all the earth, your kingdom would come and would advance with power and that people would flood into the kingdom and we'd see your churches full, we would see your churches reformed, we would see, see pulpits reformed. If anything's going to happen, if we're going to see a growth in this body, if we're going to see a difference made in the city, if we're going to see uh, an impact, it's not going to be because somehow we come up with one wild doozy of a strategy, one, one program that, boy, I tell you, they got a hot one for you folks. We have got to go to the place of all power, All authority, the place where lives get changed. And that's the throne of grace. And then the things that we do will see the power of God. We've got, and here's the thing, we've got to get sick of where we're at. That God would expose us and show us our weakness that he would reveal to us how poorly we're doing and stir us and move us to change. Pray to that end. And know that as we get praying as God's people, as we get convicted by God himself and he begins to stir us to pray, God is on the move. He's up to something. So you know what will happen? If God moves, 
and he moves through our prayers. And it's because we're praying and we really don't have a lot of other explanation for it. He gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. It changes even our worship. It changes our lives as we see God work. It changes our community. It affects the efficacy of this word being preached. It goes from a dead letter to a living document that changes and transforms lives. Christ covenant, I exhort you. Pray together. Learn to pray together. Pray more often. Take baby steps with one another and say more often, how about we pray? Let's pray. Pray. Pray together. Don't always just talk together. Pray together. And as you pray, pray for the leadership. Pray for us that we truly would become people of prayer who labor and labor in prayer, beseeching the throne of grace. And if we do that, God will move. God will hear our prayers. I hope it's been clear in this, this sermon series to see that God delights to answer our prayers. If we would, by faith, believe him in this and go to that throne of grace. Amen. Father, Oh, Father, have mercy. I ask that you would work in this body, in the leaders of this church, that you would make us people of prayer. I confess to you, Father, the horrible neglect, the shameful neglect. Please have mercy. Please make this a priority. And please, by your spirit, work this into our hearts that we would seek you, cry out to you, and wait on you and have you work. Work in our hearts even now, for we ask it in Christ. Amen.